Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Jennifer Roth. My name is Melissa Garner, and I have been attending Salem Alliance since I married into Salem Alliance when we got married 28 years ago. Before I came to know Jesus, I was uh, selfish and demanding and wanted my own way in pretty much everything, and I was four. So that was an appropriate thing to see in a four-year-old. Unfortunately, it's been characteristic of my life for a very long time, and as I've gotten older, things that helped me survive as a child have turned against me in my adulthood and made it really hard for me to relate to God, to relate to myself, and to relate successfully to other people. In difficult situations, my first instinct has always been to search within myself for an answer to the problem and to defend myself when I felt like someone considered me less than worthy. Defensiveness became my go-to strategy for how to survive life. Uh, That I was really the only one who could take care of myself and that I needed to do all that work on my own, which in fact is not very effective. (laughs) So I made a decision to follow Christ at four. I was baptized at seven and I really never looked back. It's never been a point in my life where I said, God isn't who I want or what I want in my life. But my understanding of who God actually is has transformed over the years. So in the beginning, I really came to understand that I believed that God was a lot like Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars, waiting in the background with a full arsenal of electricity to electrocute you whenever something went wrong. And so I spent lots of time trying to be as perfect as I possibly could be, to be as good as I needed to be. And it has taken, it's been a journey of a lifetime to discover that that's not at all who God is. That God is immensely patient and kind and loving at his core. He is not waiting to punish me or to control me or to bend me to his will. He is patient in his kindness. There's a handful of pivotal moments in my life, um, probably the most significant that really got me started down this path is actually a journey of meeting with a sponsor and working through the AA curriculum. Another significant moment in my life was after long years of being on this recovery journey, uh, I had an opportunity to fight cancer. It was a very big uh, challenge to my sense of control. I did things in the beginning of cancer, like keeping track of all of my blood statistics. I had blood cancer, so I kept track of all of my blood statistics in case I could see a pattern that my medical team would miss. Um, So control has always been part of my life. It shows up in really funny ways, but I was determined from the very moment I stepped into the hospital room that this would be a story that God would tell. And there is no way that I could have been that confident in the story that God was writing without having given up the deep need for control of my own life. 
And since I've really gotten to know Jesus and really come to really understand how much he loves me just like I am, I have learned grace. I have learned to forgive myself and other people much better than I ever could have before. I have learned to listen and to accept rather than judge and condemn. I have become convinced that my biggest job in this world is to pass on God's love to everyone in my life. I am so grateful that we share stories around this place, that we share testimonies. I think there is power when we share what God has done in our life with others. When someone has the courage to be honest, we get to see a slice of ourselves in them, and we get to see a slice of what God wants to do in us. Um, So I love Melissa's story of transformation. As a matter of fact, uh, by the way, I'm Jennifer, uh, one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you this morning and glad that you're here. One of the things I love that Melissa said that actually ties in with where we're going this morning, she said, defensiveness became my go-to strategy for surviving in life. And it got me thinking, what's my go-to strategy for surviving in life? What's the thing that I naturally default to when the pressure rises, when the struggle comes, when things get tough? And it got me thinking, what's our go-to strategy? And so this morning, as we turn to the book of Jude and we kind of finish up our series in this book, I would like to encourage you to consider the question of, what is your go-to strategy for surviving in life? And this isn't actually a rhetorical question. I I actually want you to think about it. See, Melissa shared hers, defensiveness that played out in trying to keep things under control. Uh, mine is perfectionism. If I, can, if I can do everything just right, if I can always make the right decisions and say the right thing, then I can keep the people in my life happy and the chaos in my life at a minimum. And that's, that's my go-to. When the pressure rises, I try harder to do the right thing. What about you? Some of you might relate to Melissa or I. Some of you, it might be different. I wonder if for some of you, maybe a go-to is cynicism. Maybe it's less painful to do life if you don't expect life to be good. I wonder if some of you, your go-to is to withdraw. That if I just give myself some space from people and the places, and, and maybe even in that withdrawal, there's some avoidance and some numbing and some just fill my mind with other things, a book or a movie or, or something else online, just, just filling alcohol, drugs, things that numb the feelings and, and ultimate withdrawal of just getting out of reality. I wonder if for some people the go-to is actually the opposite, like leaning in more, maybe even becoming kind of aggressive and accusatory with the people you're with because it's too painful for it to be around you, about you. And so the go-to is to become blaming and aggressive and to lean in and be like, we gotta do this thing because it's too hard for it to be about you. So it has to be about someone else. I don't know what your go-to is. Melissa said that there were things that served her well as a child to help her survive, but as she grew up and as an adult, they turned against her and they actually became a problem in relating to God and relating to others. And today, the book of Jude that we're in turns a corner. So we've been three weeks in this book and it's been warning after warning after warning. 
It's been you've got to contend for the faith because you don't want to live the way that these people live or these people live or these people live and you don't want to follow people who live like this or be like people who live like this and you don't want to be influenced by this. And today, we turn a corner into, okay, so how should we live? Okay, so what is the new way of living like? And as we turn that corner, I would like us to consider what is the new go-to? What is the new way of living that reflects the God that we are serving, that reflects the call that he has on our life? And in order to really, I think, wrap our heads around the new go-to, I think we need to wrap our heads around the old go-to and recognize what it is that we tend to lean towards and what it might look like to lean the other way towards God's go-to. So we're going to read together in Jude. There are no chapters in Jude. It's just that short of a a book. So we're going to start in verse 17. If you have a phone app, it's, it's there. If you're new to the Bible, it's like the next to the last book, and it's on page 1039 of the Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you. We're going to start reading in um, verse 17. See what Jude has to say as we turn this corner from all the warnings into the, so this is how we should live. Verse 17, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. Let's pause there for just a second. Does this sound like our world? (laughs) I don't think Jude's world was so different than ours, really. We've got scoffers, yes, check. <laughs> We've got people whose, whose sole purpose is to pursue their own desires, usually ungodly desires, check. <laughs> We've got those who are divisive. Any of you see signs of divisiveness this week in our culture and in our world? I did. But there's a really, really important phrase at the end of this, this particular passage that I want us to not just zip past or forget. It's right at the end of verse 19. So I'm going to read it again. It says, they follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. The world that we live in, the way that it does life, there is a reason And the reason is because they do not have God's spirit. Friends, you and I have something that I think we take for granted and that I think we forget we have, and I think it colors the way that we look at our world. Because here's the truth. The Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. That there was original sin in the garden and that all of us are born separated from God. God did not like that. He created us to have relationship with him. And so he sent his son because he wanted to reestablish relationship with me and with you. And Jesus came on the mission from the father and he accomplished it. With his death, he, he covered our sins and he paid for our sins. And with his resurrection, he conquered death. And now he has the right to give us relationship back with God. And he promises us eternal life, but there's another promise that he makes. He says that when we believe in him, when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God's son, and that his work on the cross is enough for my sin, and we choose to to commit our life to him and to follow him, that he puts a deposit in us, promising us that we are his children. He says he adopts us as children and there will be a sign that we will know that we are his children. And what is that deposit? What is that sign? It's the Holy Spirit. That when we become children of God, he gives us the Holy Spirit. 
And I think we forget this. Because I think as we interact with the world, there is a wisdom that wells up from within us that is not our own wisdom. It is the wisdom of God. When we are talking with somebody, there is a kindness and a compassion that flows out of us that is not our own kindness and compassion. It is the compassion of the living God. When we have discernment, if we have grace, if we know how to deal with the conflict, all those things that just are who we are, they're because of the Holy Spirit of the living God in us. Friends, our world who does not have the Holy Spirit does not need us to be offended by them. They don't need us to be surprised by them. They don't need us to take offense and, and, and argue and, and, and engage in the vitriol that is in our culture because what they need from us is our compassion. They don't have that which you and I have. I don't know how I would do life without the Holy Spirit. I don't know how I would survive one day as a parent without the power of the Holy Spirit. Our world needs to see a reflection of the love of God in us so that they can be wooed into a relationship with him so that they can walk with the Holy Spirit and so that they can find that he is their conviction and their wisdom and their discernment and their love and the things that we see that our world needs. Friends, this is a pivotal point as we turn the corner in Jude because the difference between the things that were talked about in recent weeks about don't live this way and don't live that way and how you and I can live, there's just one difference and it's the Holy Spirit. It's not about how good we are, it's about how good God is. And so as we turn the corner to look at how then does he call us to live, we recognize that the only way we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Friends, what I love in those two verses is that it shows us grace and truth. It's the Jesus way. John tells us that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. And this says, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering, that's grace, and snatch others from the flames of judgment, that's truth. There are times when we are called to speak truth. Three weeks ago, Steve was preaching on the first part of Jude and he said, we need to contend for the faith without being contentious. That's grace and truth. Contending for the faith, that is speaking truth. Doing that without being contentious, that's grace. With grace and truth. And then he finishes here with the best benediction in all of scripture. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. This is God's holy word. What I love about reading that passage in its fullness before we dive in deeper is that we get to the end to help us understand the beginning. Because the end, where we're going to land today, friends, is this is all about God. He's the only true God. He's the one who can keep us from falling away. He's the one who will bring us into the presence of God without fault. And in that, he invites us to partner with him by living with a new go-to. So here's what I want to invite you to do as we talk today. I want to invite you to take that go-to that's in your mind, the thing that when the pressures rise is kind of your natural default, and I'd love for you just to kind of hold it about here in your awareness. 
Because as we go through this scripture and we look at what the new go-to looks like, I want us to touch back to the difference between the old go-to and the new go-to and what the journey of transformation might look like. Because see, life in this broken world, and there is no doubt that this world is broken, (laughs) requires a new strategy of Holy Spirit-empowered living. Friends, we live in the in-between We live between the perfection of the Garden of Eden and the perfection that will be in heaven, and we live in the it is finished, Jesus has done the work, and yet the not yet, because our world is still broken. And in this broken world that is shadowed by sin, that is shadowed by evil, where there is suffering and violence and natural disasters, it is required that we have a new strategy of Holy Spirit living, Holy Spirit empowered living. Our old go-tos aren't going to work. They will turn against us and actually make it more difficult to have relationship with God and with others. And so what is that new go-to in the Holy Spirit-empowered living? To do this, we're going to put Jude 20 and 21 back up on the screen. And we're just going to kind of go phrase by phrase through this today. So I'm going to read it again to us. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. When I read this, I see a list. It's a list of things that are part of our new go-to. But the list is not a formula, like just do this, this, and this, and then everything is fine. The list actually kind of gives us a picture of what the mystery of living with God looks like, and we're going to unpack that today. So this first phrase I want to look at is building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Most holy faith. We don't talk that way very often, do we? One of the things that struck me about this is that my holiness has nothing to do with me. It's a gift from God. And my faith, even though it's a decision that I made to believe, the Bible tells us that faith is a gift from God. I couldn't believe unless God gave me that gift. And so we're called to build ourselves up and not just individually, build myself up, but corporately, when Jude wrote this, he's writing to a body of believers and he's saying, build yourselves up, build each other up. It has both an individual, we need to have habits and practices in our life that are anchoring us into who God is, but it's also as a corporate body, how do we build one another up into that which is a gift? What's, what's amazing about this whole gift is when you look at Colossians chapter eight, which tells us a little bit more about building each other up in the faith, it actually says, As you first came to know Christ, so walk in him. So the faith that was a gift from God in how we first became to know him is the very thing that we need to be built up in him. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that it isn't about what you do. It's about what God does. It's about putting yourself in a posture and a position of receiving. It's about being aware of what the old go-to is and allowing God to speak into that, but recognizing that the end result, the transformation, the figuring it out, the fixing it doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. What does this look like to build each other up? Maybe it's the women who sit in a small group and share life with each other and pray for each other and share their struggles with each other and remind each other of who God is in the midst of what life really looks like. Maybe it's the man who takes his friend's phone call and he meets him at the driving range or the coffee shop and he listens to what's going on in life and he speaks truth and maybe even accountability and he calls him up to live higher in a way that God has been speaking to his life. 
It's being students of God's word, whether I'm reading it on my own at home and praying that God would show me what his truth is, or maybe I'm in a Bible study and learning and discussing together. It's showing up here and hearing the teaching that's going on. It's being a part of worship. Did you notice this morning that as we worshiped, those words have a connection to truth and to our soul. And there's something that happens when we remind ourselves of the truth of what God says. And we are building one another up in our most holy faith. The gift of God. The gift of God. Phrase two. Oh, wait, one more thing I want to tell you before I go on to phrase two. Uh, I have a friend who builds me up in the faith. It's kind of an odd way that she does it, but here's how it works. She says, do you need me to punch you in the faith face? <laughs> I know, sounds odd, but here's how it works. Uh, let's go back to that go-to, and you could think of your go-to. So my go-to, perfectionism, when it's really at its worst, I'm not kind to myself. I'm actually a really hard person to live with because I'm just trying to get myself to do the right thing. And when she and I cross paths and she recognizes that I'm tight in my spiral of perfectionism, the, the point of view is, if I'm not being nice to myself, I'm not being nice to one of her friends. So she's like, who do I need to go punch in the face who's not being nice to you? Oh, yeah, me. <laughs> and what this little joke does is it's this little joke that builds me up in the faith because it reminds me that I'm not in charge of the world. <laughs> And that, that the goal isn't to make myself be good enough. The goal is to rest on the goodness of Jesus. And it, and it refocuses me from my natural go-to to my new go-to. Because she's a spiritual friend who builds me up in the faith. All right. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Um, we know that prayer is a communication with God. Sometimes we tell him about our day. Sometimes we tell him something we need. Sometimes we ask him for things that somebody we love needs. Sometimes prayer is listening to him. But what is praying in the Holy Spirit? What does, what does that look like? And there's a passage in Romans that gives us a really good picture of it. And so I want to read it to you. This idea of praying in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Here's what I think praying in the Holy Spirit looks like. You know that thing that you can't quite wrap your brain around, that, that you can't quite wrap your heart around, that, that you don't have words to express that conflict that you wish wasn't there and you're not even sure how it started and you don't see how to come out the other side of it. The child who has walked away from God and is breaking your heart. Maybe you're single and you've wanted to be married and you cannot wrap your brain around why God wouldn't want that for you. Maybe you're married and you feel like I probably should have stayed single and you can't wrap your brain around <laughs> how to thrive in this life that is yours in the way that God called you to. Those things that come from the deepest place in us that we don't always have words for. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit sees that. God knows our heart and the Holy Spirit is interceding. And God hears him. And not only is the Holy Spirit interceding, but he's interceding in a way that is in alignment with God's will. That when you and I don't even have words for what we need, our advocate, our counselor, the Holy Spirit who is living in us is placing us before God and he's interceding for what he knows we need. 
Friends, here's how I picture praying in the Holy Spirit. God. 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 That's all I have. Can you handle it? When I don't have words, prayer doesn't have to be words. Prayer can be my thoughts turned towards God and saying, God, I don't even understand the depth of what is going on in me right now. The emotion that I can't put a name to, the confusion that will not still, the cycles that are spinning in my mind. Sometimes this has to do with our go-to. I know I am a perfectionist. I know that this is the way that I act and I don't want to do it anymore and I'm still doing it. God! I don't know how to change this. That is praying in the Holy Spirit. It's acknowledging that the deep, under the waterline, unspoken thing in me can be met by the deep, unspoken thing in God and does not have to pass through my brain to be understood or to be spoken out loud. That is praying in the Holy Spirit. And so as we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, remembering and practicing the things of God's word, as we pray in the spirit and we place before God the things that don't even have words in our life, we keep ourselves in God's love. Keep yourself in God's love. This is a fascinating concept to me because keep is an action word. It's an intentional, I'm going to stay in this place of knowing that I am loved by God. And yet, how many of us know that in our heads and don't necessarily experience it in a life-changing way in our heart? Because we know, 1 John 4 says that God is love. We know that God loves us. That's all stuff of, of childhood Sunday school. And yet, what does it mean to live like we're loved? had an experience a couple months ago here on a worship night. If you've never come, it's worth it, you guys. Great, sweet time together just worshiping God. And one of the things that happens at a worship night is that our healing prayer team is here. They open the doors out to the lobby, and and the, the prayer people are in the lobby, and you can just go out during worship and receive prayer and come back in and worship some more. And so I went out to the lobby, and I, and I asked for prayer. And here's what I asked for. I said, you know, I know my age. I know that there are certain things that happen in the body at my age, but I would really love to be able to be more active than I am. And my feet hurt and my ankle hurts and my hamstrings bug me and I just can't be as active as I would like to be. And I'd like you to pray for my body to be able to function in a way that I could be more active. Okay, we'll pray for this. And so they they took a deep breath and a pause and because I've been part of the prayer team, I know that in that pause, they're saying, God, what is your heart for Jennifer in this? And the gal that was praying for me took a deep breath and she said, Jennifer, I just have such a deep sense of God's love for you. And I thought, I came and asked you about my physical body and you're praying about God's love for me. And yet in that moment, with her prayer prayed, empowered by the Holy Spirit, there was something that happened in me. It was as if the heavens opened and the atmosphere of our world cleared a little bit to make what is usually blurry so clear. And I had this moment of this, I just have a deep sense of God's love for you that made sense to me and it took my breath away. In this split second moment, so many things became clear in such an instant and here was, There were things that made sense to me and there were things that his love covered all in the same split second when it took my breath away. And here's what it was. That in my prayer request, that I would have 
healing in my body to be able to be more active were layers and layers and layers of self-doubt and shame and self-condemnation and unmet expectations. Because see, the first layer of shame was, if I wasn't heavier than I wanna be, then I would be able to be more active than I, than I am. So that's shame, right? And the next level of self-condemnation was, well, I know what I need to do. I know where the gym is. Hello, if you wanna be more active, then go be more active. So that becomes a behavior issue and self-condemnation. And then there was the level of, of unmet expectations, which I had no idea were a piece of the puzzle for me. See, I was raised by arguably the most active woman on the planet. My mom was beautiful and active. She died a couple years ago, but my mom was still snow skiing and water skiing when she was 70 years old. You try growing up with that. <laughs> and in that flash of insight, as my friend said, Jennifer, I just have a deep sense of God's love for you. Here's what I understood. I saw clearly all the layers of shame in what I was praying about, but I also saw clearly that if God actually loves me this way, then none of that matters. None of that matters. The shame of being heavier than I want to be, that doesn't matter if God loves me this way. If this kind of love is possible for me, then, then the things that I fear about what people will think about me, they just don't matter. If God loves me this way, then it doesn't actually matter my behavior that I don't do the things I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. If God loves me this way, then his love covers that. If God loves me this way, then it doesn't matter if I'm not as active as my beautiful mother. She gets to have her beautiful life and I get to have my beautiful life because God loves me and I am not wrapped up in what other people think I should be or what I should look like or how I should act. That is the transforming power of the love of God when it moves the 12 inches from our head to our heart. That is the new go-to. Friends, my old go-to, it's rooted in fear. I strive for perfection because I'm afraid of rejection because I'm afraid of punishment, because I'm afraid of people being disappointed in me. And I suggest to you that your old go-to is also rooted in fear. What is the fear that drives your go-to? Because see, 1 John 4 doesn't just tell us that God is love, it says that perfect love drives out fear and there is no fear in love. And our old go-tos are rooted in fear. Somewhere along the line, we found that we could survive if we did it this way. And the new go-to that he is inviting us is keeping ourselves in his love because there is no fear in love. as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are so not good at waiting. <laughs> our culture does not help us with this idea. And yet part of the new go-to that Jude is laying out is that there is a piece of the puzzle that has to do with waiting. When I was a kid, being bored was a life skill that everybody learned. My kids haven't had to learn that life skill because there's always a device or a book or a phone call or a text message. There's something that can keep you active. You guys, we know we do this, even waiting in the doctor's office or in line at the gas station. What do we do? We pull, we're so bad at waiting. And what does that look like when it comes to our spiritual life? I'm gonna make a guess. 
I apologize if I hit the nail on the head with this one, but there are some of you who've heard nothing I've said since I asked you to consider what your go-to was. Because you thought about your go-to, and since then, your brain has been, okay, how do I fix it? What do I need to do? What do I need to repent? What do I need to confess? Like, I know that there was no waiting. There was just a awareness, fix. That's still the old go-to, folks. The new go-to has to do with God's mercy. It says, as we wait for the mercy of Jesus, we know that he is merciful. We know that his mercy is coming for the things that we need in our life. And so rather than trying to figure out how that's supposed to happen and make it happen ourselves, rather than be in a hurry and anxious and, and mad at God because it's not happening yet, we remember that he says, I am not slow in keeping my promises. And so we wait for the mercy of God. See, here's the deal. The danger of seeing a list of build yourselves up in the faith and pray in the spirit and, and keep yourself in God's love is that, is that we get this idea that, that this new go-to is about something that we do. But the new go-to isn't about what you and I do. It's about what God does. And the waiting is what reminds us that it's in his court and that he's going to do it. Uh, I see a counselor regularly, and the last number of times I've been in, here's how our sessions have ended. We've had great conversations, and then I'll say, what am I supposed to do about this this week? What am I supposed to do to you know, anchor these truths and, and, and understand this better and fix myself? And he says, uh, nothing. God, I hate that answer. <laughs> Jennifer, there's nothing to do this week. You and I are having conversations that are bringing awareness up of long-term patterns in your life. Just live your life this week and watch where the under the waterline things become more obvious to you and see the connections on when they rise up and how this happens. And come back and talk to me next week. Friends, that's what our relationship with God is like. What do you need to do when you leave these doors? Let God do what he's going to do. Let him take the awareness that you have right now and bring it back to you at certain points in the week and keep coming back because this is the place where we build each other up in the faith. This is about what God does, not about what we do. And as we await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is the final mercy? It's to bring us into eternal life. This is maybe the most powerful tool of our new go-to and that is hope. It's the reality that this is not all there is. We know that God brings redemption now, but he brings perfect redemption then. We know that he brings healing now, but he brings complete healing then. We know that there will come a time and a place when this will become a distant memory and there will be no sadness and no pain and no tears. And the perfection of eternity is with us. Friends, we live in the in between, but there is hope that this is not all that there is. And so our new go-to is anchored in that hope as we live in the it is finished with the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of a world that is still stuck in the not yet. So a question for you today. What is your natural go-to? We've been talking about it. Some of you have had it in your mind for the whole service. Some of you are like, Jennifer, I don't know. Can I just tell you that I've been praying for you this week that you would have a spirit of revelation, that God would expose what the patterns are in your life, that you could see what are the ways that when, when trouble comes, when stress rises, what are my natural reactions, and that God would gently and graciously open your eyes to see what is that go-to. You might want to spend some time with him this week and just say, Lord, how do I react when the going gets tough? What is that go-to? And then I would ask... 
How could you live with a new go-to? How could you live with a new go-to? And I'm not asking you to come up with a formula to fix yourself. I'm asking what would it look like to trust God enough to wait for his mercy, to practice keeping yourself in his love, to pray in the spirit when there are things that words have no place for, and to continue to being in the places where you are being built up in your faith and reminded of what God has taught and reminded of who he is and reminded of what he will do for you, what, who he is in you in this world. Friends, we get to live in the it is finished of who God is in the midst of a world that is stuck in the not yet. We're gonna move into a time of communion today and and to get us there, I I wanna read again to you this, this last two verses of Jude because it brings us back to the reminder that we started with. That while there are ways that we engage with God and that we partner with him in this life, and there are ways that we can can resist God, that really when it boils down to it, it is all about him. He is the one. So I want to read this to us again. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Another translation says, now to him who is able. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to bring you into the presence of God without a blemish or a stain. All glory to him who alone is God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in this present and beyond all time. Amen. Friends, as we go to communion together, we remember that the bread is his body broken for us, that the cup represents his blood shed for us. We sang earlier this morning in one of our worship songs, we sang, it's not my blood, but his that stands in my defense. We accept and we embrace our weakness and we celebrate his strength, that his blood does stand in our defense. As you come to communion today, would you be mindful of your go-to? And would you be mindful of his go-to? And would you be mindful that what you are doing is a representation of releasing your power and control and embracing and accepting his power and control because he is enough. Communion stewards are gonna come forward and when you are ready, just come on up. We're gonna worship for uh, several minutes here. Uh, Come when you're ready, dip your bread in the juice, and then you can eat that whenever you are ready. Let's worship together. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.